Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. There's a lot going on. And front and center is Amy Coney Barrett on her way to the Supreme Court, having pre-proclaimed that she thinks John Roberts certainly should have struck down Obamacare in its entirety back in the day, right, a couple of years ago when he had the chance. Dr. Sam Metz is with us on this topic, and, and, and broadly, uh, healthcare in general. He's a member of Physicians for National Health Program, PNHP, and Mad as Hell Doctors. He's a retired anesthesiologist, SamuelMetz.com or PNHP.org. Uh, the website's PNHP is the Twitter handle as well. Dr. Metz, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's so nice to have you with us. So... Where do we go with this? I mean, first of all, just very quickly, kind of for the record, it's, you know, I realize probably most of my listeners know this and could recite it to us, but let's just recap very, very quickly how, how stupid and wasteful our current health care system is and what benefit we would get from a Medicare for all type single payer system like Canada has. Uh, stupid and inefficient is being gracious to our health care system. We have the most inefficient health care system ever created. We spend twice as much money as the average industrialized country on almost every measure of outcome. We are at or near the bottom. It's destroying families. It's destroying businesses. We're the only country that has medical bankruptcies, and we're the only country that has labor management disputes over health care benefits because we're the only country that expects our employers to provide health care. Any country provides better care to more people for less money than we do. Not just Canada, France, Germany, Japan, Australia, Malta, Spain, Andorra, they all do better than we do. We need a big change and we need to emulate them. Yeah, let's learn from what works. So, Dr. Metz, if Barrett is on the court and the court hears the Obamacare case and strikes down Obamacare, it occurs to me that that may actually be a good thing because, you know, Obamacare is this kludge that was put together by the Heritage Foundation and put into place in Massachusetts by Republican Governor Mitt Romney, uh, you know, back in the day. And it really just, you know, yes, it exp- extended service to, you know, in healthcare to 20 million people. And, and had it not been gutted by John Roberts in the Supreme Court, you know, it would have expanded Medicaid, which would have been a good thing. But still, it's just a, it's a partial remedy that is still shoveling literally a, an unnecessary trillion dollars a year into that industry. Um, so do you, are, are you guys preparing for what might happen if Obamacare gets struck down? It's like, hey, this is the opportunity to promote Medicare for all. And, and also, are you preparing a constitutional argument against 
uh, you know, uh, Amy Barrett's argument that, you know, the Constitution doesn't say anything about health care. Uh, you know, you didn't have health care during the founding generation. And so if we're going to be originalists and we have to run America according to the standards of 1787, I mean, she's already said she's OK with separate but equal, um, which is not quite as bad as 1787. But, uh, you know, what do, what do we do? She could set the country back 200 years to the good old days before electricity and antibiotics for health care. The Affordable Care Act gave millions of Americans more access to health care by expanding Medicaid. But if you have got private insurance, you're worse off than you were before the Affordable Care Act. It makes America far more dependent on private health insurance than it ever was before. If the Affordable Care Act is struck down, it means millions of Americans will lose their Medicaid it also means that everyone will appreciate how desperate our situation has become and how we need to replace private health insurance with a tax-funded, single-payer, universal care plan. Anyone can see anyone, any physician. Physicians are paid on the value of their service, not like they are now on the value of their insurance. It's a big change Every other country has a universal care plan, and we don't. They all provide better care to more people for less money than we do. The Affordable Care Act was a giant step backwards. No matter how you cut it, it changed the rules, but it's a still. Health care in America is still a zero-sum game. The only way for one person to get more health care for less money is someone else to get less health care for more money. You use the key word efficiency. The United States spends more money on just administration than any other country, three times the normal. If we could cut our administrative costs as a single-payer system, we could pay for the unmet health care needs of the United States with less money than we're paying now. We may have to relabel it, but if I'm the head of a family, I want my cost to go down my access to go up and I want better care, you can label it as premiums, out-of-pocket payments, taxes. It's all my money, and that has to go down. Quality has to go up. Access has to go up. Every other country has done yeah. it. We need to follow. What's your sense, you know, as a member of PNHP, and PNHP is, you know, very active in this field, what is your sense of how or where this is at with regard to Congress. What, you know, your polling of the Democratic caucus in particular in the House and Senate. I mean, this is where, you know, like Joe Lieberman famously, because he was in the pie, the insurance companies had given him more than $1.2 million. He said, okay, no public option. What's your sense of where people are at right now? We've got about a minute and a half here until we hit a hard break. Americans are desperate for a big change. Doing more of the same is just not going to cut it anymore. It's uncertain if Congress has the fortitude to turn their back on the American healthcare industry and create something better. The American healthcare industry is the largest industry in the United States, the largest industry in the world. We spend three times on healthcare what the Saudi Arabians get in gross revenue. It takes a lot of determination to move away from that. It's possible that Congress may pass a states' rights health care super waiver that would allow individual states to try their own universal care plans and move state by state, much like Canada did. Uh, we have many models, and maybe the state should lead if the U.S. Congress won't. Now, Vermont elected a governor. I mean, you know, Peter, Peter Welsh, as I recall, uh, got elected governor based on this platform. The Vermont legislature pushed it through, but he was unable to implement it because there were only 600,000 people in the state. Uh, it's just too small, but California could. Uh, did they need a waiver? First, Vermont never implemented its plans because it never created the tax plan to replace what people paid in premiums. Right. We can do just fine with 600,000 people. And yes, federal law now makes it impossible for a universal care plan for a state, but maybe they can change that. Okay, great. It frustrates me when I hit a break, too. <laughs> I'd like to dig into what exactly stops that, but we can do that offline. Dr. Sam Metz, 
with PNHP.org. Thank you, Sam. Is the Thank Tom you very much. Program. Irene in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Hey, Irene, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to go over my experience with steroids and why I'm really worried about Trump being on them. Um, I've had, over the course of maybe six to ten years, been prescribed a steroid treatment. The first one I had, I was it was great. I felt, you know, good. I felt upbeat, even a little more outgoing than I usually am. The second time, I was irritable. I was, I was quick to anger. Uh, and the third time, I was confrontational. I was mean and uh and the last time i couldn't even finish the course because i was feeling like i was going to try to crawl out of my skin and i was i mean i was just a basket case total basket case that wasn't you know that was sometimes with two years between uh getting steroids wow. but uh so wow. with him being on it he's already psychotic and with him being on steroids on top of that yeah, it's like cocaine. He needs to. They need or to something. do a, and a, a. They need to do a twenty-five on him because he he's got I, the nuclear. I, I think so. Yeah, Mike Pence should be running the country. And my experience, you know, I mentioned that I felt like Superman. You know, the first couple of days that I was taking that course of steroids back, you know, what five six years ago. What I failed to mention is that in the four or five days following that, I felt you know not suicidal, like literally suicidal. But I was having just really, really dark thoughts, you know? I mean, just mm. just feeling like, you know, is life even worth it? And how did I get here? And, you know, it just, you know, why bother? I mean, you know, just, just kind of despair, I guess, you know, would be probably the closest description of the emotion. So I went from euphoria to despair. And they're probably, you know, opposite ends of the same spectrum as a result of having taken steroids. So number one, I'm worried that Donald Trump being high on these steroids is going to say, hey, let's take Kim on, you know, or let's, hey, screw the Iranians. Let's have a good old fashioned war. That's half of the worry. Uh, but the other half of the worry is next week, when the steroids have worn off, is he going to say, I'm going to take him out, I'm going to start a war, damn it, he said something bad about me, I'm going to take, you know, is he going to be, you know, feeling that rage that, that, you know, that you were talking about, Irene? And obviously none of us know the question, but frankly, I think that it is an issue that is not being discussed anywhere near as much in the media as it should, because what my doctor told me when I described how I felt, and I, I remember I did a, a radio show and a TV show that day, the first day I was on steroids. And I remember at the end of that, um, coming home and saying to Louise, I just did the best show I've ever done in my life. And she was like, yeah, you seemed like you had a lot of energy, but I'm not sure it was the best ever. But at that point in time, I felt like, Everything I did was the best ever, right? Because that's just how good I felt. And, uh, you know, it's just nobody's talking about this. Irene, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Kat in Vashon, Washington. Hey, Kat, what's up? Hey, just to back that up regarding the steroids and Trump, a malignant narcissist on steroids, I am scared out of my wits. Well, there's a reason why we have that phrase, on steroids. (laughs) Yeah. I take them, I'm on uh, cancer treatments, and every time I get my scans, I have to uh, take heavy-duty steroids, like three days prior. Yeah, Louise did that with chemo. Uh, Well, no, these are for my scans. I'm allergic now. Mm. I had to take them during my chemo, too, um, before, but for these scans, it's a different one. It's pretty high-powered, and that's coming up for me in a few weeks. And I have to make sure I have what I call a handler in those days prior because I will, I, in the past, I have like pounded on the hood of a car that I thought didn't stop fast enough in the crosswalk. And I'm a mild mannered Mm. older woman. It's, it's unbelievable how they affect you depending on the person and the, and the exact type of steroid but the the narcissism combined you know he's got little yeah. control as it is he he needs to be taken off power like yesterday i i don't do not understand how these doctors are letting him just continue 
Oh, I mean, he looked crazy. They're military doctors. He's the commander in chief. I have a feeling he's overriding medical advice. He's got to be because anyone letting him have access to any sort of control or power at this point, it's just insane. And put the lives of the Secret Service agents at risk and their entire well, families that, that, and their entire as a communities. He does not care about that one. No, I, yeah. I, yeah, I get that. But yeah, yeah, no, I, I, when I took steroids, I felt so expansive. When Louise did it uh, during her chemo, she would, she would clean the boat. <laughs> it was like, yes, energy. To Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We all show it up differently, but uh, this is not good. Fascinating stuff the CDC had put up on their website uh, saying, well, we now know, uh, this comports, by the way, with what the World Health Organization is saying now, we now know that that this virus is transmitted by airborne means, principally. Remember the old doctor from Michigan? He was actually a young doctor from Michigan. (laughs) The old YouTube. It was old. It was five months ago. Uh, where he was saying, here's how to sterilize and sanitize all your, as you bring your groceries home and all this. Turns out that that kind of touch transmission is actually fairly rare. And there was a study that was published over the weekend that found that uh, although it's contact tracing in the United States now is getting more and more difficult because the virus has spread so far and so deeply into the American population that people can have multiple places of exposure. But one of the things that they found, just asking people about their habits and what they were doing and what they had been doing leading up to their hospitalization, when they, when they asked people who had tested positive, um, uh, was that they found that on about a two-to-one ratio, people had been to either a bar or a restaurant. Apparently, that's not a good idea. The, but anyhow, the CDC put this up on their website a couple days ago. Yes, it's transmitted through the air. And in fact, these, these germs can travel even more than six feet, which we've known for six months now. And that in an enclosed space, that is a house, a room, an office, an office building, uh, if there's not good ventilation, if the air is not constantly moving and being filtered, then, you know, these particles can be suspended in the air for hours, certainly minutes, more than six feet, long periods of time. So be careful about that. But then the CDC took that down and said, oops, we didn't mean to say that. We're, we're back to the Trump line that uh, nothing to worry about here. But then there's this study. This is published in the New York Daily News. Uh, Jessica Schladebeck writing, a single airline passenger unknowingly sickened with coronavirus managed to infect 15 other people during a 10-hour trip to Vietnam, highlighting the dangers of travel amid the pandemic. She was seated in business class, the researchers uh, wrote, she was seated in business class and continued to experience the sore throat and cough throughout the flight. Five days later, she went to the hospital and tested positive for coronavirus. Now, this being uh, Vietnam, Vietnam has no coronavirus of any consequence because they basically locked the country down. Well, they didn't. it wasn't so much lockdown. A lot of these countries, you know, Taiwan never locked down. They just said, and Japan, a great story, I believe it was in the, in the Wall Street Journal, but uh, over the weekend, about uh, Japan that, you know, basically they've got this thing under control and they never locked down and their economy didn't crash. So how do they do it? Everybody wears a mask. They they shut down the bars and restaurants and any kind of indoor space that doesn't have good ventilation, you don't go into. And everybody, you know, kind of figured this out, right? So here we have CDC researchers then track, because this was a flight to Vietnam, they were able to, uh, to, to track this down. They tracked down all 217 passengers and crew. And investigators said there was no other likely way that any of the 15 people could have been infected. Amazing. And yet, you know, the Trump administration is like, oh, there's nothing to worry about. Why would Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and, and Tucker Carlson and all these guys who themselves are living in bubbles, right? Who themselves are being very, very careful not to get this disease. All of Fox News is still, you know, is still living in bubbles. Why would they be telling all the rest of us, hey, it's just like the flu or, or whatever, you know, some variation. And eh, it's, this is not, the, well, because they don't believe that it's the job of government 
to protect people from anything other than a military attack. Period. Full stop. Oh, you know, a foreign government wants to meddle in our elections by pouring money into Facebook or pouring data into Facebook that makes Facebook money. Keep in mind, every time somebody sees something on Facebook and likes it or doesn't like it or whatever, Mark Zuckerberg gets a little richer. Yeah, it's not the function of government to regulate that. That's up to private industry, right? Over on Axios. This is from a White House official, somebody who works in the White House. Didn't, did not want to be named, but, you know, uh, Jim Vandehei is uh, vouching for their reality and that this is an actual quote. This person said, quote, It's insane that he would return to the White House and jeopardize his staff's health when we're still learning of new cases among senior staff. This place is a cesspool. He was so concerned with preventing embarrassing stories that he exposed thousands of his own staff and supporters to a deadly virus. He kept us in the dark, and now our spouses and kids have to pay the price. It's just selfish. Well, let me tell you, that's the Republican brand. Selfish. It's all about, you're on your own, buddy. Oh, you're homeless? Sorry, you're on your own. Oh, you've got, uh, you know, some god-awful disease? Well, you're on your own. Should have bought insurance when you could. In the private marketplace. But it's not the function of government to do these things. And, and, you know, Limbaugh and Hannity, they believe this stuff too. Limbaugh's been preaching this stuff since, what, 87, 88? There was a big debate a while ago uh, between... Between and among scientists, serious epidemiological scientists, about whether or not it, what's called airborne transmission of the coronavirus was a thing. Now, I'm going to hypersimplify this, and, and if any of you are experts in this field, feel free to call in and correct me if I get any of this wrong, but this is my understanding of it. Up to this point, you know, if you've, ever, if you've ever watched somebody talking with a bright light next to them, you know, like they're sitting in front of a window and you can see this in the sun, and you can literally see little tiny droplets spraying out of their mouths as they are speaking. It's a normal thing. They're there all the time. But with a really bright, you know, like a really bright sunlight behind it, you can actually see it. Well, the theory was that those little droplets... You know, from the size of a flea to the size of, the, of a pinpoint. But basically all little droplets that have integrity as droplets. Those were the vehicles that were carrying the virus. And those, you know, gravity works on those. They're heavy. So when they come spewing out of your mouth, they fall to the ground within three or four or five or six or seven or eight feet at the most. That's not called airborne transmission. That's spread by droplets. I mean, there's an actual medical technical term for it. I'm sorry, I don't remember what it is. But, but that's not what's called airborne transmission. And, and because you can spray out these droplets and the droplets stick on things, uh, that's why we went through the whole let's all clean all our stuff thing, right? It's, uh, obviously, people can get it on their hands, too, touching their faces and their noses and their mouths and things. And then they handle your package and hand it to you or your credit card or whatever. But, we, you know, we started cleaning things because of droplets appearing on things. These are called fomites when a droplet, appear, you know, lands on something. And that was the limit that our government was acknowledging how coronavirus is transmitted. But there's a third way. If you take a glass of, uh, on a cold day, walk up to a window and breathe on it. Even though you're indoors and it's 70 degrees, walk up to a window and breathe on it. You will not be seeing any droplets coming out of your mouth, but you will see fog appear on that window. Now that was not, there, there may be a few droplets in there if you were speaking to the window, but just breathing on it, no, or very few. That was basically moisture that had evaporated inside your mouth because your body temperature is 20 degrees warmer than the room around you. And that moisture traveled through the air. It was airborne. It literally had the ability to stay in the air for hours. 
and but it came into contact with the cold surface of that, that glass and turned back into its liquid state, water, and you know appeared as those as that fog on the on the glass. So the big debate was: can that virtually water vapor or combination of water vapor and super 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 tiny droplets? that can hang in the air for hours and can move from room to room, can that stuff carry the coronavirus? And about a month ago, maybe a little longer, uh, 240 scientists from around the world wrote, a, wrote a, a long paper and a, a long letter to the Centers for Disease Control, uh, excuse me, to the World Health Organization, begging them basically to acknowledge that that kind of transmission of COVID was possible. It's called airborne transmission as opposed to droplets that you spit out or, you know, fomites, things that land on things. And the WHO eventually adopted that. Then about three weeks ago, the CDC put on their website, yes, we believe in airborne transmission. And then somebody in the New York Times pointed it out that the scientists finally got control of the CDC website and boom, word came down from the White House, get that off the website. It got taken off the website. Well, two days ago, the CDC put it back up. CDC says airborne transmission plays a role in coronavirus spread in a long-awaited update after website error last month. This is an official acknowledgement. I'm reading this in the Washington Post, an article by Lena Sun. An an official acknowledgement of growing evidence that under certain conditions, people farther than six feet can become infected by tiny droplets and particles that float in the air for minutes and hours. The updated webpage says, this is now what the, our federal government says. There is evidence that under certain, well, what I just said. Uh, there is evidence that under certain conditions, people with COVID-19 seem to have infected others who were more than six feet away. These transmissions occurred within enclosed spaces that had inadequate ventilation. And why is that? Well, try breathing on that window and creating some fog from maybe six inches away. If there's a fan on in the room, it gets really hard. Right. So, you know, it's all about ventilation and things like that. But but this is this is a big deal. I mean, you know, we're learning more about the science of this. Uh, Rince in Melbourne, Australia. Hey, Rince, thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. Wow. All the way over in Melbourne. How's, how are how are you and what's up? Uh, look, I'm having a late night. Obviously, it's two o'clock in the morning here. Um, I just wanted to oh, say my heart goes out to everyone in the States dealing with this uh, coronavirus pandemic. I uh, thought I might shed some light on how a state, I'm in Victoria, and we have a population roughly the size of uh, Massachusetts, and our capital mm-hmm. city here, Melbourne, uh, has about four and a half million people. I'm not sure what that's analogous to in the state. But we're Probably currently in the world's Oregon, longest Oregon is around five. lockdown. Um, yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a lot of people, but um, we're in the, the world's longest and strictest lockdown at the moment. So we're under um, stage four restrictions, which means uh, one hour outside a day. Uh, you can only go out for work or education if you can't do either of those things from home. Only one person can go shopping for groceries. Everyone has to wear a face mask. And, uh, and there's probably some other things that I'm missing. But the reason we're here... Yeah, my understanding, Rents, is that the reason why the Victoria government did this was that people were just ignoring social distancing and mask wearing, and you had, a, you had an outbreak. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of that. But I mean, our numbers, they were starting to get particularly concerned about our numbers when they were getting up around 400 a day. And mm-hmm. um, we eventually peaked around 700 a day. New cases, new cases a day, yeah. And, uh, right. and now we're back under 50 cases a day after five weeks of this lockdown. So it is effective. Wow. Um, you know, social distancing yeah. is effective. Masks are effective. Um, you know, limiting the amount of time spent in, you know, closed spaces is effective. Um, I just, uh, you know, it breaks my heart to see America. You know, one in 1,600 people, like one in 1,600 Americans has died from this virus in just, what, six months, seven months. It's a tragedy. Um, so, yeah. Wear your mask and stay well. Yeah, well, and countries, Rince, seem to be choosing one of two options. Either they're basically doing nothing or encouraging people to get infected and just, you know, letting the the weak die, as it were. Uh, Or they are choosing to get rid of the virus altogether. Australia has clearly made the decision that they're going to try to uh, eliminate the virus in your entire country. 
and, and have in most of the country. I mean, you know, isn't Victoria the only place right now that's under lockdown? I have some friends in Sydney, and, and yeah, with my it, understanding yeah. is Sydney's pretty much back to normal. It's, it's close. Um, Sydney's having a very minor outbreak at the moment. They've got less than 10 cases a day. Um, it's also a bit complicated by the nature of our federation. So we're, you know, much like the United States, we are a conglomerate of, uh, of different territories that have joined together to become, you know, one sovereign nation. And um, mm. those states are led by different you know, competing political parties. And a couple of them have elections coming up in the next couple of months. There's quite a bit of argy-bargy around uh, closing the borders off from states like Victoria who have uh, you know, bigger uh, outbreaks than others. But you're right, Sydney's getting better. You know, but we really, it's really only Victoria, and we're getting the highest numbers now at less than 50 a day. So you know, the, the federal government wants to you know, completely abolish any of the lockdowns. Like they, don't, they, want the, they want the economy to go back to normal. Yeah, for Whatever sure. I think every government does. And, and the way you do it is with mask, mask wearing, and we've got to completely reinvent our indoor spaces. Prince, thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you. And thanks for, uh, for watching the program there in Melbourne, Australia. Good talking with you. Uh, we'll be right back. Coronavirus, is this genocide? Is it ethnic cleansing? Am I anti-Catholic? <laughs> Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally-sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
You're listening to Tom Hartman. Trump signs meaningless paper, promises bribes to seniors, and calls it a health care plan. It's just a great headline over at Daily Coast. Trump announced that he's going to send a $200 card to all seniors just in time for the election so that they will vote for him. Honest to God. The therefore you will vote for me part was implicit, not explicit, but you know what I mean. He says he signed an, uh, an executive order. Also, this is his health care plan, right? Number one, he's going to send a $200 card to all the seniors. We have no idea where that $7 trillion or billion dollars, excuse me, is going to come from. Is he going to take more money from the military and uh, stop again, as he did with his wall? He stopped. There, there was a bunch of military housing that had mold problems and people were getting sick and some of it was unsafe. And the Pentagon had budgeted money to solve that problem. Trump took that money and sent it down to Texas for his wall to give to a private contractor that was you know, overcharging us by obscene amounts, but is a major Republican contributor. And... I mean, you get how this works, right? So Trump took that money and sent it down there. Screw the military families is Trump's official motto. Well, now he says he's going to send seniors this $200 card. Where's he going to get the $7 trillion? Nobody knows. Maybe he's not even going to do it. In fact, I would say I don't think there's any way he can do it in time for the election. It takes the government time to print these things. It takes time to set these things up. I think he's just lying through his teeth. But whether he's lying through his teeth or not, it's a transparent effort to bribe people. And, you know, I think the appropriate response to this is laughter. On top of that, he issued an executive order and he said, this executive order is going to solve the problem of pre-existing conditions. Now, this is an indication of how much heat Donald Trump is getting because he is at the Supreme Court the week after the election. The Supreme Court is going to hear hear, uh, arguments where Donald Trump, the Department of Justice, the Solicitor General, and 18 states attorneys general, all of them Republicans, every single one of them, are going to be arguing at the Supreme Court that the entire Affordable Care Act, including the protection against pre-existing conditions, including the, the elimination of lifetime caps, including the you can keep your kids on the policy till they're 27, all of that stuff, the, including the expansion of Medicaid, all of it gets thrown out. And it's already been thrown out by a Texas, by a Texas court, by the Fifth Circuit Court. And so if the Supreme Court deadlocks on this four to four, if John Roberts joins the liberals, then that Texas court decision stands and we all lose the protections of Obamacare. Now, seeing that coming and, you know, the publicity is getting out there. Trump says, well, you know, I'll solve the problem of pre-existing conditions with an executive order. Well, what does his executive order say? I kid you not. I, I couldn't make this stuff up if I tried. I'm not, you know, even Andy Borowitz couldn't make this stuff up. The executive order, Trump's executive order on pre-existing conditions says, quote, it is the policy of the United States, end quote, to protect people against pre-existing conditions. What's that policy? I mean, yes, it is the policy of the United States to protect people with pre-existing conditions. What is that policy called? It's called the Affordable Care Act. So he just issued an executive order that he says is going to protect people with pre-existing conditions, that all it says is the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, says that your pre-existing condition has to be covered by your insurance company. By the way, in seven weeks, we're going to be arguing before the Supreme Court to blow that up. Honest to God, that's what's going on. He also, in his little speech, he said, uh, we're going to lower drug prices. No, hasn't done it. We're going to end surprise medical billing. Hasn't done a damn thing. He says, well, maybe next year. He says, we're going to increase price transparency in, in pharmaceuticals and in healthcare." Right. Hasn't done any of that stuff. There is no Trump health care plan. Never was. He's been lying about this for five years now. Never was. Probably never will be because the only way that you can get things cheaper than Obamacare is with single payer. It's literally the only way. We pay twice as much as any other country on the earth for our health care in the United States because we have a for-profit insurance industry and a for-profit hospital industry. And it used to be when I, you know, back in the day when I was running businesses in Michigan in the 1960s and 70s, Michigan law required the insurance companies in that state to be nonprofit and the hospitals in that state to be nonprofit. And healthcare was affordable. As it is in, I mean, you know, Switzerland, for example, does not have a single payer healthcare system. 
There's dozens and dozens of health insurance companies. You are required by law to pick one. They are all required by law to be nonprofits. All the primary health insurance companies in Switzerland. So, I mean, even, even if you just go nonprofit, you get along with. But, you know, Trump's not doing any of that. And now he's also squealing about uh, nine ballots were found. And the FBI is investigating this. Nine ballots were found in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, in the trash. It looks like these were probably primary ballots, which had already been counted or were spoiled. But it's not going to change the election. It, it, even if it's a screw-up, it happened after they had been counted. This is in the back office. This is in the trash behind the elections office. And the elections office is run by Republicans. This, you know, this part of the state is run by Republicans. It just never ends. Anyhow, I'll pick up your phone You're calls right after the break. to the Tom Hartman program. <laughs> News of consequence. Get out there and vote. We'll be back. Byron in Bismarck, North Dakota. Hey, Byron. Hey, Tom. It, it notes here that you're a physician. Is what I am saying here making any sense to you? Yes, I was listening to you talk about the small droplet aerosol. I think that's the term you were reaching for when you were talking about uh, what comes out of us as we talk to each other and the, the spray that we hit each other with versus airborne transmission, which is a little more uh, infective, I would say, because Water vapor You don't have to necessarily, yeah, you, you, it, it rides the air currents a little bit. It floats around in the room and you're in an enclosed space. We've been treating it that way uh, regardless of what comes out of Washington or what comes out of the CDC. Unfortunately, the CDC has undermined itself by caving into Trump. And, uh, you know, most physicians I know are treating this as an airborne type situation and we're advising our patients as such and then we we talk about fomites and you know how to avoid uh getting caught with fomite issues and we just treat some of us just treat you know children are basically walking fomites (laughs) and so that's why you know we're we're very careful yeah we're very careful with school openings around here we're trying to let parents know what kind of things they can do to ensure the safety and so forth. And uh, the, the, the lack of leadership from the leader of the free world has just been appalling. And I live in the most conservative part of the country, I would venture to guess. Something like 78% of my misguided North Dakota brethren voted for this man. And I think they were voting for something they saw on TV. They were voting for you know, the star of The uh, the Apprentice or what have you. But I knew what he was back in the 80s. I've been exactly. following him ever since he generated his own policy. And, you know, he's, it, the man's just a complete and total fraud. And his, his aunt or his niece, rather, yeah. wrote a book that really explains it. And I recommend that to everybody. Every American should read that. Yeah, Too Much and Not Enough or, or something like that by uh, Mary Trump. And uh, yeah, I've, I've read parts of the book. Uh, my wife has read much more of it, and it is shocking. And Byron, I get it that medical, you know, I, I have two in my family. Two of our kids work in the OHSU, you know, the big hospital here in town. And that, you know, y'all in the medical profession have always been assuming that there's probably at least an airborne component to the transmission of this. But because the federal government has been setting standards or establishing baselines or whatever they're appropriate phrases, that's not being translated into the workplace. And, and I think because, I, I think that's one of the reasons why you got like, you know, over 20,000 Amazon employees now have tested positive, if I'm reading the news correctly. It's happening all over the place. You know, an awful lot of transmission is happening in workplaces and certainly in the meat packing plants, things like that. So it seems to me like it's a good thing that the CDC finally has acknowledged that airborne transmission is possible. I doubt it's going to change how, how you practice medicine or how it's done in where, you know, the hospitals where you may work or visit. But hopefully it'll translate into the workplace, don't you think? Well, the medical people have been taking this uh, pretty seriously from the beginning. That's, I'm, I'm proud of my colleagues for that. And, uh, you know, I, I think they've been able to recognize uh, every time Trump says something, you know, we just try to figure out what the truth is instead and you know he's he's just i don't know what he's doing being an entertainer 
You know, he, he comes yeah. out of the hospital, and the first thing he does is take his mask off. And this, you know, right. obese no, he is, older he is man with deep psychiatric issues is trying to portray himself as some sort of specimen of genetic superiority because he beat the virus. Well, I just that's don't understand that. And yeah, yeah. well, and you know, who knows? Maybe it's part of the whole white supremacy thing that he has embraced. This harkens back. Oh, to I think it absolutely. Hitler's discussions you know, just, of the just master a couple race. weeks ago at one of his rallies, he was going on and on about how I've got great genes. You all have great genes too. Look around. Look at you. He was talking to an audience of white people. Right, and he, he's not even trying to hide it anymore. And I'm just sad that so many of my neighbors and friends in North Dakota think a lot of this man, and you know they'll defend him no matter what. And the meatpacking plants, when they first had their outbreak, the the CDC sent out a team of investigators and they concluded, you know, several things and they had recommendations. And their initial memo was changed, you know, from all employees should be tested to all employees should be tested if feasible. So you just add a couple right. of words like that to every sentence and all of a sudden now it's up to the company if they want to implement these things. It's not something that you know they're compelled to do thanks for the call it's a great one quick math the less your business spends on operations on multiple systems on delivering your product or service the more margin you have and the more money you keep with higher expenses on materials employees distribution and borrowing everything costs more NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi, Tom Harpin here. In my new book, The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream, I'll be taking you from the birth of America as a revolt against monopoly. Remember the Boston Tea Party? 
to the largely successful efforts of both Presidents Theodore and Franklin Roosevelt and other like-minded leaders to constrain corporations' monopolistic urges, to the massive changes in the rules of business starting during the Reagan Revolution that have brought us into the cancer stage of capitalism. In the foreword by Ralph Nader, he says, This is the most important dynamic book on the cancers of monopoly by giant corporations written in our generation. End quote. It's the fourth in my Hidden History series. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy starts with you. Tag, you're it. Steve in Bellingham. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Kushner and Trump deciding not to fight the COVID outbreak after they found out it was hitting mostly blue states and, by the way, African-Americans and, black and people. poor people. Yeah. And I just I'm really glad that you're talking about that because, you know, it's really easy for us all to get scandal weary, you know, scandal fatigue. Mm. There's so many that just keep coming. But to me, this one is the granddaddy of all scandals. This is the mother of all scandals. This is mass murder. It's, you know, technically you could call it negligent homicide, I guess. But mm -hmm. it's, you know, basically it's a lot like what Stalin did when he allowed millions of people to starve. You know, he didn't murder them. He just let them die. And well, he, most he of that was in Ukraine, actually. And but, but yeah, point taken. Actually, he, what Stalin was doing with Ukraine was the same thing that the British did with Ireland in the 1850s. Ireland was actually exporting wheat to England to make into bread at, to feed the British at the same time that a million people died of starvation when the, when the potato blight happened and the potato crop failed. The Irish were not allowed to eat the, the wheat. They had to export it. Um, uh, Stalin did the exact same thing, or very nearly exact same thing, with Ukraine. This was before the war. It was like in the 1930s, I, I believe, before uh, Russia was involved in the war. And in fact, I think it was the early 1930s, and and killed you know millions of people in Ukraine that way. Anyhow, back to you. Well, thank you. You're right. You're a great historian. But you know, unfortunately, if Trump wins, we may just get pure Orwellian propaganda in the future. But if justice returns to America, that's the big scandal that by far, you know, that mass murder is, you know, hopefully he's got to pay for that. That's huge. That's that's worse. That's as bad as anything Hitler did, you know, and I'll just say it. Hitler, Stalin killed more. No, it's not. Than Hitler. What wow. Hitler did was an order of magnitude worse than anything Donald Trump has done. And, you know, Donald no. Trump has been responsible for 160,000 deaths so far in the United States because he didn't stop the virus early on, like New Zealand did, like Australia did, like, you know, uh, Taiwan did, like South Korea did, like much of Europe okay. did after they figured out what was going on with Italy. You know, he didn't stop right. that. But this that's a different thing from a, an intentional plan to kill people. Now, you could say that when they pulled back after the April 7th revelation, that, you know, that blood is on their hands. But I think comparing it with Hitler weakens your argument, frankly. I mean, you know, Hitler was an evil at a level that we have not, I don't think that we've seen in the United States, or, and I, I pray to God we never see. By the way, Beth well, Moore, right. who's running in, in the Georgia done. House, she's taking testimony from teachers in Georgia. This is the, she's a Georgia House of Representatives in the 95th District in Georgia. Moore for Georgia, M-O-O-R-E for Georgia is her Twitter handle. She says, this is the worst testimony so far from a verified teacher in a North Georgia school district. Quote, I am planning for 27 students in my tiny classroom. They are not making masks mandatory. My principal is joking to people that this is, quote, God's cleansing plan, end quote. Wow. You're right, Tom. I got carried away there. But just, you know, my point is, like, letting people die of this illness is just horrible. You know, it's, it's, it is mass murder. Well, he's not he's not just he's not just letting it happen. He's actually trying to politically capitalize on it. You know, the idea Absolutely. that 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 older people are going to get wiped out by this and therefore they're afraid to go to the polls. Older people are concerned about Social Security and Medicare. So Trump thinks that if you know they're going to be voting by mail, so he's going to stop the mail in vote, for example. I mean, you know, he's actually building on this crisis 
to develop political capital. It's it's mind boggling. Steve, thank you for the call. Scott in Catskill, New York. Hey, Scott, what's up? Hey, Tom. Yesterday, you mentioned the cost of uh, President Trump's treatment to the tune of $140,000. And uh, I posted it on Facebook today, (laughs) and some people were saying, where'd you get your info? And all I could say was Tom Hartman. So if you could, like, break it down for me, like, and tell me what cost what. There was $3,000 for the Reservoir and... Remdesivir, yeah. Yeah, I think it's either $3,000 a dose or it's $1,000 a dose and you typically take three doses. I don't remember which. On the $140,000 number, that was a conversation that I heard on NPR. I don't know if it was the national or our local station over the weekend because there is not an official price for that drug right now. You know, it's not been approved. It hasn't gone through pricing. It hasn't gone through anything. And so I'm guessing that that was the estimate of what it costs to pull some drug out of production and, you know, make sure that it's pure and transport it to the White House and everything else. It may just be pure costs. God only knows. Uh, But, you know, right now that drug is not in the marketplace at any price. Right. And what did you call it? Monoclonal antibodies or something? Yeah, it's 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 called a monoclonal, monoclonal antibody cocktail because there's two different monoclonal antibodies and the way they uh, from my read of this there was a piece in the new york times actually about this on my read of this the, the way that they're producing this sometimes they produce these things they genetically alter yeast and stuff like that to produce these things but these specific ones they genetically engineer mice so that they have immune systems that use the same proteins and things that humans do the, basically a, a human immune system in a mouse and then they infect the mice with the coronavirus and they extract from the mice's blood these antibodies. And then they concentrate the antibodies and inject them into Donald Trump. Maybe it's not mice, maybe it's rats. But that's a long way from, you know, major commercial production where you can, you know, when you start getting the sore throat, you can go down to your local drugstore and say, gimme. Exactly. Um, and I'm wondering why no one else is mentioning this, how what he got is so not even on the market let alone affordable, yeah. you know, no one else is bringing that up. <laughs> right. You know, it, it seems self-evident, but, you know, I, I suppose some people think it's an off-the-shelf drug or something. It's not. I believe that the company that did the research on this, is it Regeneron, I believe, yeah. originally started working on this product for SARS back in the day, or maybe it was MERS, but it was one of the other two coronaviruses. And, you know, and now they're doing it for this this coronavirus. But like I said, I'm not asserting all those things, that to be an absolute fact. I'm, I'm running from memory here. And right. Never, never well, thanks safe. for taking my call. Yeah, you're welcome. And thanks for the call, Scott. It's good to hear from you. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Animal Kind, Remarkable Discoveries About Animals and Revolutionary Ways to Show Them Compassion by Ingrid Newkirk and Jean Stone. This is from the very first chapter. Researchers at Germany's Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology were dumbfounded. The excitement wasn't over a new fossil or the discovery of a previously unknown human ancestor. It was over Rico, a border collie. In experiments conducted in 2004, the very normal-seeming 10-year-old canine had learned to fetch more than 200 objects on command, and moreover, remembered them all a month later. Determined to discover the limits of Rico's abilities, the research team subjected him to a battery of cognitive tests that revealed astounding problem-solving abilities. Rico could easily retrieve from another room items he was familiar with, but when told to retrieve a new item, one he had never heard before, Rico correctly deduced that the unknown name must correspond with an unknown object and correctly retrieved it. The Border Collie's cognitive abilities were subsequently compared to that of apes, dolphins, parrots, and eventually human children. Researchers often end up comparing their animal subjects' intelligence to humans, but is intelligence truly easy to compare animal to human or even animal to animal? If Rico could use the process of elimination to correctly fetch a tennis ball, does that make him smarter than an arctic tern who journeys 44,000 miles each year between the North and South Poles? Is a piano-playing cat more intelligent than a chimpanzee who shares 99% of her DNA with humans and can learn sign language? Comparing the intelligence of animals is, in fact, no easier than comparing the intelligence of humans. Who's smarter, Aristotle or Plato? 
Newton or Einstein, Monet or Manet, the red-lipped batfish or Chinese giant salamanders, the Indian elephant or the African elephant. In the end, ranking the relative intelligence of animals is a futile exercise. What's more, a recent study found that less than 15% of the estimated 9 million species on Earth have been discovered. Who knows what fantastical creatures reside at our ocean's crushing depths, soar high in the stratosphere, or creep deep in the densest jungles? What fantastic intelligence do they display? Or, more so, what fantastic intelligence we can't even comprehend? We often consider intelligence as the only factor in determining which animals deserve compassion and which don't. Yet we're still so limited in our understanding of human intelligence that it makes little sense to calibrate our animal brethren based on how similar their brains are to ours. Or perhaps you could say it's simply not an intelligent way to determine importance. The goal of this book is not to merely question that superiority or to show that animals think and act like us. It's to show how they do not and to honor those differences. How can anyone compare the mental faculties of a gibbon vaulting through the forest with a giant blue whale singing through the deepest oceans? Different animals excel at different actions. As we'll see in this book, animals think, navigate, communicate, love, and play in extraordinarily unique ways. However, for many years, scientists believed that intelligence was indeed all that mattered when it came to animals, and that intelligence consisted of a continuum with humans at the most developed end. Every other species could fit neatly into that spectrum, a concept heralded by the great naturalist Charles Darwin, who wrote in his 1871 book, The Descent of Man, that, quote, the difference in mind between man and the higher animals, great as it is, certainly is one of degree and not of kind, end quote. In essence, Darwin meant that because all animals share a common ancestor, they also share the same toolkit of mental abilities, but at different levels. Not a new idea. 2,400 years ago, Aristotle presented his idea of natural ladder, or scala natura. Like Darwin, Aristotle advanced that all life could be conveniently ranked with lesser animals, like worms, on one end, intermediate animals, like dogs and cats, in the middle, and higher animals, such as monkeys and humans, at the far end. During the Middle Ages, Christian theologians expanded on Aristotle's teachings with the great chain of being, a hierarchical scale that began with God at the very top, followed by angels, humans, other animals, plants, and then minerals. Each layer of the chain also had its own hierarchy. Among humans, for instance, kings, aristocrats, and other noblemen were at the top, while peasants were relegated to the bottom. The highest-ranking animals were large carnivores, like lions and tigers, who were untrainable and therefore seen as superior to docile animals like dogs and horses. Even insects were subdivided, with honey-producing bees ranked higher than mosquitoes and plant-eating beetles. Finally, at the very bottom sat snakes, their lowly station, a result of the serpent's deception in the Garden of Eden. Even throughout the 20th century, scientists clung to the notion that animals can be neatly ranked by their human intelligence. Scientists devised increasingly cruel experiments that could serve as universal tests for animal cognition, many of them led by University of Wisconsin-Madison psychologist Harry Harlow. Previously, Harlow was best known for a series of experiments from the 1950s in which he removed infant rhesus monkeys from their mothers and provided them surrogate mothers made from wire. The traumatized monkeys' desperate attempts to be caressed by their inanimate mothers during times of stress became the basis for research into maternal separation, dependency needs, and social isolations. Many historians cite Harlow as a factor in the rise of subsequent animal liberation movements. Animal Kind is the book by Newkirk and Stone. Mike in Lameda, California. Hey, Mike, what's up? Your question, if I heard it right, uh, was something to do with water vapor condensing on a window pane and how that relates to whether masks are effective. Well, my question was, the, the, the science question here is, with airborne transmission, it depends on super, super, super small droplets that are so un relatively unaffected by gravity they can stay in the air for minutes or hours. I was wondering if that includes water vapor, which is a gas, not a particle. You know, in other words, can water vapor molecules have a virus attached to them, or does the virus need a large enough collection no. of them to qualify as a droplet, regardless of how microscopic it is? No, I'm assuming the, the latter. Viral part yeah, you know, the viral particles can be quite small, 
But like quails got to live in the ocean, the virus has to live on a substrate, which is like mucus. So your N95 mask, for instance, will take, uh, you know, screen out 95% of particles that are down to 0.3 microns. The virus particles can be much smaller than that. However, they have to be attached to something to get transmitted. And they can travel up to like uh, nine meters with a choir. Depends on what someone's doing, of course, how transmissive they are. Sure. So basically, when we're talking airborne transmission versus droplet transmission, we're talking about the size of the droplets. The, The airborne transmission is super, super, super tiny droplets. Right. Or in the in the healthcare field, how close you can get to a patient without a mask on. Well, I always wonder if uh, Donald Trump now is in danger of allurophobia since he's got rodent uh, antibodies in his body. <laughs> well, that's for tomorrow. What is allurophobia, Mike? That's a morbid fear of cats. Oh, okay, that's great. I love it. Mike, thanks for the call. Uh, <laughs> it's entirely possible. Or maybe he's going to start growing ears straight up or whiskers. I don't know. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a a spectator sport. Get out there, get active. Go to IWillVote.com. Double check your registration. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 